Welcome to East Meets East. Ah, damn it! <laughs> I knew it. Welcome to East Meets West, the show where Rob and I discuss contemporary Canadiana from our adopted homes in Ottawa and Calgary. Joining us today is our very special guest and future chat co-host, Mike Alberta-bound Atrill. Over to you, Rob. Hey, Nick. I'm I'm really glad you screwed that up again because it's. <laughs> It just shows all the rust from the about two months it's been since we did an episode. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Shut up, Rob. Mike, Mike, how's it going? It's going pretty good. I feel like I've. it's been a while since I've seen you. It's been at least it, two days. If not, if not three, three. If not three. Yeah. Feels like two. <laughs> Wait, feels like three. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, Mike, you have been in on this conversation about doing an episode specifically about alberta politics and so we figured we'd have you sit in add your your voice to the discussion apparently if you're watching the video on this we've all seen we all seem to have chosen different political parties to throw our allegiance behind and uh clearly i'm the winner because i chose orange as my color um nick is red and mike is blue for the people keeping score at home whatever that means i want to be officially on the record as saying that by the time I figured out that I should put up a, r- a lower third, the other two colors were taken. <laughs> well, I mean, we can all be orange. Maybe if you change your allegiance mid-show, you can change your color to reflect that. <laughs> oh, mate. yeah, that, that's a good uh, little political sure. barometer. Okay. Let's do that. <laughs> Although, if it's not accurate now, who knows if it ever will be. It actually happened to be accurate, so happy coincidence, I guess. Yeah. Um. Actually, when I worked at a Greasy Spoon in Prince Edward County, I think that's around when Trudeau joined federal politics. This is the younger. Trudeau the younger? Yeah, Trudeau the younger. I'm not that old. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it wasn't around so much for Trudeau Sr. Anyway, they saw my curly hair. They were like, anyone ever told you you look kind of like Justin Trudeau? Interesting. No, actually, that's a new one, but I see where you're coming from. <laughs> I've been told Stephen Harper, which I don't know how to take that. <laughs> Dead, yeah, cold big, eyes. Just the eyes. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, eyes. those big blue Albertan eyes. <laughs> I was pretty offended at the time. <laughs> so, so, yeah, yeah, Nick, go ahead. Mike, you have the floor. Uh, Mike, Alberta-bound Atrell. Atrell. Atrell? Oh, I've forgotten how to do it again. Yeah, that guy over there, um, he has been an Albertan his entire life, as I understand it. Correct me if I'm wrong. For the, save the first nine years. Where were you the first nine years? We've we've been over this. Northwest Territories. I don't think we've been over this. I, I remember I mentioned it, and you're like, what? And then you're yeah. like, oh, wait, that's a side conversation. I that too. And then we never had that side conversation. Oh, crazy. Since, since it's been brought up, uh, no, I was, I was born here, and then my dad was working in the North of Territories, and then we moved back. Oh, it's so like very far northern Alberta. Like Arctic Ocean. No, not Alberta, yeah. Arctic Ocean. Far northern Alberta. <laughs> Just keep going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway he's here yeah because uh as we've discussed alberta has lost its mind 
and we thought it would be valuable to have a more or less native Albertans uh, two cents on the matter. It, Absolutely. If I remember correctly, on a previous episode, a uh, a, a a bright a bright listener once suggested to discuss the one party <laughs> Alberta. Now yeah. I don't know who this listener was. Uh, but oh, it got, a, a it, bright, intelligent, and handsome listener, to be sure. Yeah, it, it got me thinking about it. It brought that back once this election got called, and it, it got my brain juices churning. And the result was definitely yeah. something to behold. It's and unfortunate this, that that listener chose to be anonymous, so we'll never know who it was. No. <laughs> but on the topic of one party, Alberta, I forget what the first two were. It was liberal, then something. <laughs> then social, credit. social credit. Yeah, social, social credit. credit. That was and it. And then Farmers Union or something. Okay. And then PC forever. Then PC. And now, the thing is, Albertans, you know, chose a different party almost unanimously. And. Is that the sarcastic? Thing is, <laughs> well, no, they got a vast majority. Yeah. You don't count the rural ridings that went, yeah. Okay. Just of seats. That's right. how it works, Mike. It <laughs> goes by the number of seats. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, except for the rural, rural ridings that went wild rose, like yep. they've, they've chosen a decisive majority once again, because you wouldn't want to be divided over these things. God forbid that. You gotta, like, if you're gonna switch parties in Alberta, you got to be like fully behind that. You got to really jump on some wagon. In this case, a big orange one. Yep. So Nick, what did you want to talk about first? I I wanted to be a part of this discussion because I thought it'd be interesting to talk on a national level. But I, well, this is your this is your show. No, it's not. No, I mean this one. Oh, this one right. right now. Okay. <laughs> so I think the first thing that's worth discussing is that as I look outside right now, the sun has continued to rise and set since the, mm-hmm. since the election happened. And that was not uh, a foreseen conclusion, as I, as I read into the, some of the political commentary. I, c- yeah. I can confirm the continued behavior of the solar cycle. So, I guess, following up on that... Uh, I guess as a backstory to those who who haven't been following or been familiar with the the pretense of the whole election, that Jim Prentice, Jim Prentice's government, leader of the Conservatives, progressive Conservatives for that matter, they drew up a budget proposal and I believe hadn't passed it yet, but they released the proposal and then he called an election under the pretense of wanting a mandate and acceptance from the Alberta public of their intent for them following however many years the budget covered, I guess. And that kind of bit him in the butt slightly. Uh-huh. Bitumen. To say the kind least. A lot. <laughs> but yeah, bit him in the bitch, bitumen. Bitumen the butt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyway, that's that's how it all came about. And it was two years prior to the scheduled election year. Um, and then I guess the horses were off to the to the races following that announcement of the election. And 
the election date was called for, I believe, six weeks after. So there's only about yeah. there's only about yeah. four to six weeks of compa- campaigning. It was a bit of a world whirlwind campaign. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I I don't know about you guys. I know Nick probably followed it, and I don't know about you, Rob, but you at least heard about it tangentially. I heard about it that yeah. they had the leaders debate, and the election was more or less decided during that debate. For all intents and purposes, it was just hmm. a matter of time before it actually came to fruition. And I didn't actually see the debate, but everything I heard on the matter was that Notley was the decided winner. Yeah. Granted, Prentice, and for any uh, incumbent leader, is kind of at a disadvantage because it's basically a, a pointing finger blame game for the competing parties and saying, look how bad the current government is. So Prentice kind of had his back to the wall going in. Um, and, you know, he he held his own as best as he could or could be expected having three, three leaders against him and two that were actually saying anything. Sorry, Nick. Um, (laughs) but yeah, I would say that like just watching the highlights, like I didn't watch the entire debate, but I saw the, the platform points and the, the talking points and Notley pretty much won every single, every single point. Hmm. And that's rare in a, in a political debate. Normally you see people trading, Maybe there'll be the occasional error or sort of misstep, but I don't really hear about political debates where you come out of it and everyone sort of says that person won, that changed the tide. Yeah. I thought uh, in one of the first elections with Martin versus uh, Harper anyway, Harper did a very good job in the debates. I don't know if either of you recall that. Being the incumbent? or No, no, being the outsider. Okay, right. Yeah. Like fresh off unifying the alliance. Yeah. And conservative party or progressive conservative parties. Yeah. People didn't start hating Harper till the second term. I'd say like, no, like actually it, it like, really solidified. Yeah. It. Yeah. If you didn't already hate him, you definitely hated him after a second term. Well, and I'm, I'm not entirely sure what you mean by second term because there's a terms? second election win. I assume. Sorry. It's been two elections. Like he got reelected, right? Uh, I thought yeah. it was three. Well, I thought it was three as well. Okay. He's in his third. His I most believe. recent. Maybe I've yeah. He, yeah. he got a minority uh, after beating Martin. And then I believe he just. Yeah, because they. Uh, what was it? It was a vote of non confidence that brought his government down over the F 35s. Yeah. And then he just wiped the floor with uh, Dion. Right. Or Iggy, whoever it was. Yeah, <laughs> wiped the floor with Dion, then went up against Ignatieff, and that's when he got his majority. Yeah. And I think it was when he had a minority government, like he'd kind of try and do wacky things every once in a while, but the other two parties would go, no, no, you can't do that. We're not going <laughs> to let you do that. And he was like, oh, fine, stupid <laughs> opposition. Why can't I just have a majority government? <laughs> and then, like I discussed in my blog, he got into a majority and then started going, you know what? I've never liked the census. Let's just destroy that thing. And everyone went, this wasn't an issue. Nobody was talking about this. Why is this happening? He's like, well, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense that... Uh, 
that prison terms would accompany not filling out the census. You're like, so you're scrapping the whole thing. That's what's happening here. And by God, so, uh, he had a majority, so he did it. Yeah. yeah, I'm on the I'm on the Wikipedia page for timeline of Canadian elections, just so there's no ambiguity here. Oh man, How there did have I do? been or there have been almost three full terms of not three full terms, but three terms of of conservative government. The first one was only two years, and I believe if if I, my memory serves, Stephen Harper's government called an election pretty early to try to get a majority and couldn't. They kept the minority for the second one, and then the latest one in 2011 was when they got the majority. That's I believable. agree with you on the first one yeah. or the 2011 one. Yeah. I'm not sure he actually called it or whether it was forced. Well, that was after two years, time. right? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, it was, it's my understanding. Uh, yeah, I, I guess it was just a pretty weak. Uh, the 2006 win was pretty weak, and so they didn't have much confidence in that government as a whole, and so it only after two years they were just like, all right, we'll do it again. And nothing changed. <laughs> so that sounds about right. Tying yeah. tying this back into the to the most recent election for Alberta, I th- we were talking about the debate and how that's you don't often see that. And I think that's the significant thing with the Alberta one that just happened was people were aware of the NDP mainly because of the federal NDP and Jack Layton's prominence and popularity, and then. Rachel Notley was literally unknown before that debate. I don't think people could have named the leader of the NDP if they had a gun to their head. Um, right. But then she came out guns blazing and kind of took the, the debate crown with that one. I, I was going to say, I like the gun to the head analogy because <laughs> uh, name the NDP leader. Do it. Who is she? <laughs> Who is she? And everyone's like, I don't know. Please don't kill me. Yeah. Uh, on on that note, I don't think people who voted for the NDP could even name their representative who they voted for. So that's kind that's of true. that that's that's another point that is worth talking about. Yeah, and apparently I I actually know a guy who was offered a paper candidacy for the NDP. <laughs> Just so they, they had like- a running person. Yeah, they said yeah. like we don't think we're going to win this riding. Like it's just hopeless. So can we write your name down? Like, you don't have to do anything. <laughs> and see, honestly, if that happened, that's probably what happened to the representative in my writing. Because- that actually happened in uh, in the last election in Quebec. Apparently, there was a paper yep. candidate that I was think- in the Caribbean. And all of a sudden, they're like, hey, by the way, you won the election. She was like, uh, I got to learn French. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I remember, yeah, I remember that being a pretty big story that Quebec voted in quite a few NDP seats for non-French-speaking people. And not that that's, you know, something that makes a bad representative, but it's, if you can't communicate with your constituents. I was going to say, that's the primary language of the constituents. No, like, yeah, that does make you a pretty terrible one. (laughs) Not objectively, but yeah. 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 Well, I mean, so long as you've got a translator coming with you, like. They want me to do what? All right, okay. But I mean, uh, yeah. Parliament being whipped as it is. I mean, right now, I, I don't think it makes that big a difference. So, another thing I'd like to talk about with this is 
partially going into this, going into this election and seeing the polling numbers, Eric Grenier of 308.com, uh, he had predicted uh, an NDP majority because that's what the polls were calling for. But he had a specific subsection within his article saying, but this is Alberta, so anything can happen. Huh, because are we, are we familiar with what happened the last election? Are you, Rob? The, the Alberta I'm one? I'm not. Yeah. With, with Ed Stelmack? With the Wild Rose? Yeah, where they, they were calling for a Wild Rose majority. Oh, I, I don't even remember them calling for that. I oh. definitely heard about the research, like the surge of Wild Rose, but I didn't, I didn't know about any pre-election polling. I was, I was gone by then. The whole because it, it was Ed Selmak versus Danielle Smith that one, right? I think so. Yeah. And the the whole the whole reason that Ed won was because he related with the rural community as well as the, the urban. If if he wasn't that type of person who could kind of satisfy the rural desire to have a kind of I don't know relatable person I guess then right. he wouldn't have he wouldn't have won those many rural seats. Yeah. yeah, but like I remembered reading up on it and going, "Wow, Alberta's going for a different party. This is crazy." And I also found it funny cuz like from an Ontario outsider perspective around the time of that election, it was like, "Oh, the Conservative Party in Alberta is getting raked over the coals because there's this other more conservative party that sprung up <laughs> because only in Alberta would you have a political system where the conservatives are ruling, but people are getting pretty upset with them. So this more <laughs> fringe conservative group has, you know, sprung out of the woodwork. Oh, I love that. Right. The conservative party wasn't yeah. conservative enough for Alberta. Yeah. So they like went straight up Danielle Smith. But once people got to the polling station, my understanding is people got in there and they looked at the ballot and they went, can I really elect a different party right now? It's only been like 40 years. I don't know. I don't know if we're ready for a different, different party right now. Change is scary. (laughs) (laughs) That is the, the annotative definition of conservatism. So yeah. 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 Um I really like 308.com. It's uh I guess the Canadian version of 538.com, Nate Silver's election website, but this is this guy is prolific and he's using Blogger as a blogging <laughs> platform, which is awesome. I saw that. Isn't that great? Yep. Good old Canada. We can afford the best. <laughs> yeah, so just uh that's more in the uh, introducing listeners to background. Yeah. 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 Like what happened? Cause I remember joking with people before the election going, so, Hey, how about that NDP majority that's coming? <laughs> it's just like what they said would happen to the wild rose. It's not happening. And then the election night happened and went, woo. Well, don't I look silly? 
like I was tweeting, like I was I was watching the results come in, like on that they had a CBC had a site like a ticker that updated every ten seconds and showed the live vote counts of the polls yeah. coming in, which is really intriguing to watch. Um, and they <laughs> they called the majority not much more than an hour into the polling stations coming in like they like ndp was leading in enough ridings that they were confident enough to call the majority right there and at that point they had it was like 20 seats and then like one for the wild rose and zero for everyone else yeah and it was like oh and i and i said like you know i expected this but not this fast and not this decisive yeah 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 it was crazy um Similar to the the last Ontario election, where heading into it, people were like, this is anybody's race, anything could happen. And then within like 45 minutes, they'd call the liberal majority. It was like, huh, all right. <laughs> I guess we'll go home. <laughs> well, I mean, we were at the grad club in London, so you yeah. didn't have to go home. Have another pint. <laughs> That's true. So I don't know about you guys, but are we ready to shift this into from like the discussing what literally happened to discussing the implications and maybe some of our own political backgrounds? If not, we don't have to discuss political leaning specifically, like on a personal level, but just sort of history and what this might mean for Alberta and for Canada moving forward. Before we do that, I want to get into one story that came out of the election that Mike specifically highlighted on Twitter. So, sure. Mike, a lot of people say that their vote doesn't matter, and so there's no point in voting. What would you say to those people? I would say take a look at the Calgary writing that was tied. Literally, same yeah, number of votes tied. after the first count. And they actually, I don't know if you heard in the news, but they did a recount, and the what the NDP did end up winning by seven votes or three or four or seven votes or under 10 votes was the difference in that writing. Wow. Um, and it can still be challenged by the, I think it was PC and NDP that had tied. So PC can still challenge that count and get it judicially reviewed. Um, but it, after the first recount, it ended up being an NDP win, but yeah, like it, after that first poll, it was tied after all the, the polls were in. And I find that interesting because it was tied at 7,015, if I'm remembering correctly. Something like that. <laughs> and oh man, the actual numbers when they did a recount was 7,018 versus 7,012 or yeah, something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, yeah, it was like a six, but three votes were miscounted. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's like, but I think that's impressive because we'll get into this later, but with political history, I've worked an election. and to be off by three over all the polling stations in that riding. That's, I think that's pretty good. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. And my riding specifically, our uh, candidate won by under 300 votes. It was like 220 or something, which is a pretty tight race for a riding as big as ours. Like it was, I think 10,000, yeah, I think 10,000 votes or something were were in the riding. Like, it was a pretty big riding. Yeah. And, and it was also a pretty good turnout, if I re- yeah. recall. Like, as opposed to some more 
I'd say disillusioned campaigns where you get maybe 30% of people coming out. It was over half of people showing up to the polls, which yeah. I thought was great. Yeah. Yeah. That is good. So are we going to, are we going to make it personal now? Yes. Let's get personal. East meets West after dark. <laughs> it's dark here. I don't know if it's dark there yet. No. <laughs> I don't know well, if has made its way to the thing, West. It's Alberta. So it's not going to be dark for like, Three hours. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Like even well, then. It's dark, it's dark here. <laughs> man, in the middle of summer, you can be out at 11 o'clock and look up at the sky and it's still glowing blue. And you're like, what, what is this place? How does this happen? <laughs> yeah. So, Mike, you had here that you want to talk about your own history with political awareness. Yes. Was there something specific you wanted to say on that note? I think it's it's more and I was more interested to talk about it in a general sense. Yeah. Kind of with the the rise of of social media and the internet and just people's engagement and I guess I guess you could call it bandwagoning or just wanting to be in in because it's a thing to be involved in. It's kind of like that hashtag mentality, I guess. Um so, like, every, pretty much every political misstep these days gets highlighted and retweeted and reposted and talked about. Like, you can't you can't say anything without it being posted to YouTube or someone writing a blog article about it. And I think that played a really big part in people jumping to the NDP side uh, because, you know... People are like, oh, it's time for change. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, we need change. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah, let's let's have change. And it's it just was contagious that way. And I think right. without social media, you're not going to have that same effect because you're not going to have as much outside influence. You'll have like you know your parents and your immediate close group of friends possibly talking about it. And I think even before the internet, it was a lot more taboo to talk about your political leanings or intent to vote. Like, I know maybe it was just my family, but it was always like, oh, no, we don't talk about who we're voting for. Because it was like, you know, personal choice. You don't want to like whatever. I was like, okay. Even though weird. you're in Alberta. So it's like. <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure. Well, we don't times, like to say that we're all voting progressive yeah. conservative. We don't talk about that at the table. I mean, we're God fearing Albertans. So, of course, we will. But <laughs> I'm pretty sure that there are multiple times I'm like, you're voting PC, right? And like, oh, we're not talking about it. But it is PC, right? Like. Just kind of like I was just assumed it's like, <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know what your guys' experiences were growing up and what you saw in your own social media circles and feeds. Well, I mean, in terms of my political engagement, it started around, I'd say, two thousand three. I think it was when I took a civics class in high school. Okay. Or thereabouts, I can't remember exactly when it was, but uh, just all of a sudden it's like, yeah, this is how our democracy works. This is how the government and the law works, just like little intro stuff. And just as some homework assignments, we're going to get you to watch the news. And I found out I really liked following it. And I don't know, to me, it's you're following the people who are shaping the course of the future of your country. So... I mean, kind of important. This isn't really the question you're asking. I apologize, but that's <laughs> been 
my experience. So ever ever since about grade ten for me, I've been you know kind of keeping an ear to the ground and trying to you know see what's happening at the federal level and getting exasperated at times with my fellows, especially because you know young people and young people don't vote, and it's like oh so. What's everyone think of this upcoming election? Who's everyone or is everyone going to vote? And people are like, there's an election or like, yeah. yeah, I don't actually know anything about this. I remember the first election that happened when I was still at high school, but a bunch of us had turned 18 and could legally vote. A bunch of people just walked up to me. They're like, so, um, Nick, who should I vote for? I was like, sorry. They're like, yeah, I mean, you're totally into this and I trust you. So like, just just tell me who to vote for and I'll do it. I'm like I I I'm shocked but I can't in good conscience do that. I will tell you who I'm voting for, but I won't <laughs> tell you who to vote for. That's that's interesting. I imagine that's what it that's what would encourage someone at a young age in their 20s or or, or about to get into politics is having someone say, "You seem to know these issues. You seem to know what you're talking about when it comes to politics." What's your opinion? What do you think? And then at that point, you basically have your own little soapbox that you can start saying what you think is right. And then that kind of leads down the path to politics. Yeah. But I mean, it's also interesting because, I mean, as a teenager, it's like, why, yeah, I think this whole communism thing could totally take off. What a great idea it all seems like. (laughs) And then you get a little older and study history a little more and you're like, oh. The problem is that it never actually works because people are greedy. I maintain that communism in its pure form would work. I've said that before and I'll say it again. <laughs> yeah, but the problem is people are dicks. Yep. You can't account for people being dicks. Nick, what you described about your your friends coming up to you and asking who you're voting for, that's essentially the pre-Twitter and Facebook version of social media hashtag syndrome. Yeah. When when you see yeah. everyone when you see everyone saying, "Oh yeah, NDP is great. Oh, PC is evil." It's like that becomes your 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 view even if you can't really defend it or justify it on your own principles. It's just what people are saying and you hear bits and pieces of it, but you don't fully you haven't internalized that feeling. It's just the feeling of it, I guess. Like for me, I didn't start getting interested in politics until like the issues started mattering to me being like a working adult who's also a parent and, you know, relies on schools and hospitals for the well-being of my family and child. And to, to me that, that was reason enough for me to be engaged this time around versus before when I was going through university and just paying tuition and I'd hear, Oh, this party's, wanting to freeze tuition. I'm like, Oh, that's pretty good. But I didn't, I didn't think like, Oh, that's well, what, what does that actually mean? Like, is that money coming from somewhere then if they're not going to raise tuition, like where's that, that gap in funding going to come from for the schools and all that kind of stuff. And, and I think the issues that were raised this time around for NDP and wild Rose, a lot of stuff is said during campaigns, such as, you know, promises or platform uh, ideas, but people, jump on those and like, yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, that's a good idea. But it's like, well, okay, think about it. 
and you know, okay, saying they're not going to raise taxes. Well, where's that money going to come from? Like, like it doesn't just you can't just make more money. Like, well, you can, but it's from a budget perspective, <laughs> it's like if you're not going to raise taxes and have that extra funding come from taxes, where's it going to come from? So you have yeah. to think about that. And it's kind of that thing where it's like, yeah, in theory, not raising taxes is a good idea, but you there's give and take and there's pros and cons to each thing. So, and I think that was a big thing this time around is that people just jumped on. Yeah. Alberta needs change and PCs have been in it for too long without actually thinking, okay, well, what's the best thing for Alberta right now? Not to say yeah. that NDP isn't, but I don't think people, when they went to the polling stations, they actually had that in, in mind when they voted. I can see that. A note on like it becoming personal for you in high school, like, some Ontario politics had become personal for me because my, uh, like my uh, grandparents were hospitalized, and you know didn't go well for them. But at least one of them, when they were admitted, the this is when like wait times were. I don't know if they've gotten better, but they were pretty bad in Ontario. And they'd yeah. gotten really bad under what the government, the governing party of the day. And so I remembered the election coming up and talking about hospital wait times and what parties had, you know, different views on what they wanted to do about hospital wait times and thinking like, you know what, there is no way I'm going to vote for the incumbent based on what's happened. So, like, maybe that could have been a driving force for me getting into politics. Hmm. But yeah, for sure. And also, a note on change. Um, I remember the, I think it was the last election that happened while I was at University of Ottawa. It was the Ontario election where they had the referendum on first past the post versus mixed member proportional voting mm -hmm. and i remember being in lot in line like waiting to vote and hearing just it was a university campus people are vocal and have ideas <laughs> about things like i remember i think i was either with the person or they were in front of me or something but it's like yeah i am totally voting for mixed member proportional because obviously the system doesn't work i'm like obviously the system doesn't work Obviously, because we're not standing in line right now to vote on this very issue. Uh, yeah, that's a little weird. Yeah, well, I don't know. We can talk about our preferred voting systems later if you'd like, you know. I, yeah, I don't know enough of the names of them. I feel like I'd be less useful in that kind of conversation, but I would like... I. <laughs> It sounds so juvenile, but like I agree with CGP Gray on his the voting platforms that he has talked about in his uh, what is it voting in the animal kingdom yeah. series. That was like one of his yeah. first videos. Well, there's like there's at least fifteen or twenty of them, now. and he's redone one of them now. Really? Yeah. Why haven't to, I seen? He's updated it and made it better, hmm. in his opinion. Yeah. Um. I don't. Do you want to put this on the back burner, or do you want to talk about voting systems well, now? I want to hear about Rob's political engagement, okay. if applicable. Right. Yeah. yeah. Rob's so, also here. I forgot about that. <laughs> so for me, the sort of voting thing, 
the the politics thing has always been this it's a thing that i can never wrap my head around fully and if i can and, just briefly interject yeah. on this you just whole, gave like, me the floor but go ahead <laughs> yeah no totally but i have something to say about you specifically Roth. <laughs> yeah 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 no that it's, it's important like part of, part of the whole like being exasperated with my unengaged peers rob is totally a case study of that yep i i get into politics on occasion similar to the way that i get into hockey when it's the playoffs or like if i'm watching hockey if i watch hockey two or three times a week i will start getting into hockey but i can fall out of it just as easily and with politics if i have a couple of friends who are paying attention to a, a, a politics and a political race then i will get into it i got really into like watching the daily show and the colbert report back in 2012 i got really into the american political race like the the presidential campaign and i'm assuming i'm going to do that again in 2016 although it'll be Neither so tired will be then. there sorry like is colbert's gone isn't the daily show ending no but uh, well i mean i guess so but so if, gonna, if I don't watch anything that's covering the election, maybe I won't. But I also follow now a lot of, um, I follow a lot of blogs that have more political science slant sometimes. Okay, and so I'm more engaged in that sense. But on in terms of a national, in terms of a national level, uh, political discussion in Canada, my leanings tend to go in like they push in a scientific priority kind of direction and so we've talked about on future chat uh, i believe it was number episode number seven of future side chat back last summer we talked about government funding of science and how the conservative government was tearing it apart and giving it to companies who were doing research um for sort of economic gain rather than pure scientific gain and so on that level i'm concerned but i feel like you're not going to get the majority of Canadians on board with any kind of scientific platform, like any platform that leans on pure science being good and worth spending money on is not going to gain any political traction at all. You need a good solid platform that includes lots of things related to taxes and related to things like education and hospitals and these important things to everyday life and not so much things abstract things like pure science research and so that tends to disengage me because i know that the things that i really care about are important and i know that these everyday things are going to get done almost the same way no matter what no matter what promises people make about putting more money into education or into uh i don't know any kind of any kind of thing where you're either you're having to make budget decisions it's all going to come out pretty much the same because they're all dealing with the same amount of money there's no magic windfall that any party can get and it's sort of a matter of if you have this party that has these lofty aspirations to make things immediately way better they're often the ones that are going to disappoint you the most when they're actually elected because they have to sort of come back to reality when they realize that they're dealing with the same thing that the last government was and they might be able to affect minor change but going for something huge is is probably not going to be very beneficial. Yeah. So that leads me that I'll, I'll just finish off by saying that leads me to think that 
A, my vote statistically doesn't really matter in a national election. And B, even if it did matter, the, it's going to be tiny changes that my vote will make and not these broad sweeping ones. So the kind of thing that I would do is not rather than voting for the, the party that I think is going to win, I'm going to vote to put my support behind ideals of a certain party. So that's when I would vote for a Green Party or the NDP trying to push in that direction. I'm definitely say I'm more liberal than conservative, like I'm more left than I am right leaning. But I don't think that my single vote can affect change. I think that if I'm going to affect change, it's going to be through things like this podcast or things like talking to other humans before and after and during elections. So voting for me is sort of the least consequential thing I can do. Yeah, I've, I can relate to pretty much everything that you, that you just said. Um, like what I found is like, I've been trying to kind of on a side unrelated thing, but kind of tangentially related. I've been trying to make more of a point to voice my, like give feedback on stuff. Like the other day, like I, we bought a barbecue and it was missing like some washers in the pack, like in the, the package. Like it's, I was still able to assemble it, but it's like, it says there should be the, some there and I, and they don't have them. So at the end of my registration for registering the product it's like, Oh, give us your feedback. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, the barbecue looks nice, but it was missing this stuff. Like I didn't expect there to be this kind of haphazard, like assembly procedures or whatever. Yeah. And you know, two days later I heard back from them. It's like, Oh, thanks for your feedback. You know, we apologize for whatever, blah, blah, blah. Oh, just, give us your address we'll send you some washers um and you know it's like oh we really value hearing about this blah 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 you know and same with like twitter i'll tweet out like oh you know there's this parking lot's flooding and then it's like oh thanks for the feedback we've passed it along to the store and it's like right. instead of just saying like oh that sucks like i wish it was different it's like we'll just let someone know because someone might not know how you're feeling and i and i want to approach politics the same way if if i am driving down the street and i think man there should be a stop sign here I, I want to be the kind of person to like email my, you know, my alderman and say, representative. Yeah. It's like, I, every time I come down here, cars are ripping down here and kids can't cross or whatever. Right. Like, is there any way to put a stop sign here? And unless someone actually says that, then politics don't happen. Like you're not working for your, your community or your constituency. If you're not hearing from them because you don't know what yeah. they need. And that's why going into this election, I wanted to make sure that the person I was voting for could represent me and when the ndp representative didn't even bother to put signs out or show up to the candidates forum that i went to to hear about all the parties and what they had planned for our, our community it's like why would i give you my vote like you're not even here for me you're not even bothering right. to show your face so it's like and that's why i was i was shocked that the three parties like ndp pc and wild rose they were for all intents and purposes like 30%, 30%, 30%. Like there is hundreds of votes separating one from two from three. Like it was that tight. And in my opinion, there was really only two that could represent our community and one that really actually could. And that's who I chose to vote for, but I didn't expect it to be as close as it did because I guess everyone has their own way of voting. And like you said, you're going to vote for the party. And I try to kind of find a balance or reconciliation between what the party stands for and what, the representative could offer our community because platform promises can be broken, but yep. you can't change the person representing you once you voted them in. Yeah. 
I actually, that was actually one of my first experiences that I really remember was a debate that we had at my high school from the candidates. And one of them was an independent and he made a point of stopping and saying like, by the way, guys, like I'm the only one here that can vote. However, I think is best for our community. Like the other people here, they can't do that. They have party leaders that are going to force them to vote a certain way. Right. If you want your representative in the provincial parliament, you can vote for me guys. Like I'm, the only one here that's actually going to be able to actually help you. And I was like, that's really true. That's great. And then I got into the voting booth and I was like, I like <laughs> that guy, but this race is really tight and I'd really like my party to have this seat. <laughs> and the independent candidate was absolutely destroyed. The <laughs> right. So every time I've seen an independent from then on, I'm like, I'm really going to pay attention to what they have to say because I'd potentially really like to have them as my representative. And then you get to the voting booth and you're like, uh, this is kind of a tight race. Uh. <laughs> after uh. watching the leaders debate, I felt after seeing Rachel Notley there, I, I was thinking to myself, I don't have enough... I don't buy into her platform, but I buy into her as a leader and a person. And so I, I, I was hoping that she would be like a leader of the opposition, like a strong one that could kind of play the role of the federal NDPs where they're kind of giving that pushback and bringing stuff up in the House or the legislature to kind of keep the government in check. And, you know, I'd even I would have even been okay with like say a PC minority with the NDP as an opposition, so that there'd have to be some sort of kind of compromise on on different issues and stuff. Yeah, and I mean a lot of people have been really happy with how minority parliaments have worked. Like, uh, no, I guess that's all I have to say about that. They tend to work really well because they have to compromise and actually, you know, come to a plurality or the representatives of a plurality of the constituents in order to actually get things passed or no majority, not plurality. Sorry. I'm thinking of the UK election now, and that was totally baffling too on an international (laughs) level. Yeah. Politics is neat. I, I like politics, but I feel like even if I got super informed on the issues, got sort of deeply invested in the entire political system, I personally would never even want to run for office. That's what I've heard from other people too. You just kind of have, it's almost like selling yourself, selling your ideas and your thoughts. And I I don't, I don't know if I could see myself doing that. Well, I mean, the the thing I've heard most is, geez, if I run for office, like I've seen the ads they run, it's just going to be people t- saying terrible things about me for months. <laughs> yeah. What what I've heard yeah. from someone who has seriously considered getting into politics and who's in law school right now, and people always thought that he'd be like a premier or prime minister. But he, like, I was talking with him the other day, and he said, I'd never get into politics because 
everything you do, every relationship you have, everything you say is if you're going to be a good politician, it has to work for you and it, everything has to be – you have to keep in mind how is this furthering my political career and my image. Like even if it's off the record or either if you're at whatever function, it's like if you're at the level of say a representative of whatever – the spotlight's going to be on you and there's always going to be, you know, word get out. Oh, this guy went to a strip club or whatever, right? Like in grade six, this guy stole another kid's cookies. <laughs> Is he the person you want representing you? A cookie thief? Pretty much. With, with social media, <laughs> honestly, like there. it just seems terrible. Yeah. yeah. Become a lobbyist. That's where the real power is. Yeah. So, Mike, another thing I have here that you wanted to talk about is your political values and how they've changed. Do you feel like, did you talk about that already, or do you feel like there, you have more to say on that? I think it's, it's more just growing up and being tangentially aware of political goings-on and never actually really voting. I honestly can't remember the last time or the first time I voted. So for me, right. this was the first time I actually voted with like a reason behind it and political conviction or awareness i guess you could say right um and you know if yeah like if if it's like oh we don't want taxes and whatever like it's like now my thought is well kind of seeing past the political campaign and it going back to say just thinking about what is best for you know your city your province your country aside from all the promises being made like i don't know it's it's kind of hard i think i over the past hour i guess kind of covered bits and pieces of it but yeah it kind of goes back to just you know working for a living and having a family and relying again on schools or healthcare or whatever it's like you start when when they're saying oh we're gonna like you know cut funding to new schools that have been planned to be built it's like oh well that's not good like but being like a 20 year old without a kid i wouldn't care about that I'd care about, I don't know, taxes or minimum wage or whatever. So it's it's just kind of as your circumstances change, your political values are going to change, I guess, in a selfish sense. But that's really all you have to go on in the, in, in some cases, I guess. Yeah. I'm terrified. Um, oh, I'm not going to be able to pull it up on demand. But there's a... Like there's sort of the the general thought that as a population ages, they become more conservative, and and that's a longitudinal I'm, thing too. Like people just become more conservative with age. Yeah, yeah. I think the saying on that is, if you are young, and I think it's like specific to the states, but if you're young and a conservative or young and a Republican, you don't have a heart. And if you're old and a Democrat, you don't have a brain. <laughs> yeah. Which is, it's, it's so weird. Um, I actually was able to pull up the, the story. I don't, it was the second result in my Google search, which is amazing. Um, it's a, sto- a story from a website called salon.com. Uh, they have a lot of sort of think pieces from, less maybe less established journalist than than something like new york times but the story is called how i lost my dad to fox news or i lost my dad to fox news and just talking about how it's so easy to watch 
TV and again, sort of similar to the just watching politics makes you interested in politics. Watching hockey makes you interested in hockey. Watching conservative punditry like on Fox News or like what was it Sun News? Yeah, or Sun, Sun News. TV Sun, was, Sun News Network. Yeah. Uh, in which in was Canada. the greatest story ever. <laughs> it, it's crazy how paying attention to conservative uh, values and conservative. What would you say like conservative political points and pol- pol- political perspectives will make you literally change and I can't imagine myself becoming a conservative who would watch Fox News and go oh that's I can really get on board with this guy thanks a lot Obama like that <laughs> that sort of <laughs> I've only ever used that in a completely ironic way and there are people who who will take a left-leaning candidate if if they're conservative and older they're going to take a left-leaning candidate and just completely tear them apart for for no actual legitimate reason just because they're considered liberal it's like why a dog barks at another dog there's no real reason for it other than they're a dog and they're around yeah i uh I'll, i'm going to put a link to this story because i think it's it's a good read and it's something that it, I it would terrify me if it was, uh, if it happened to me as I grew older, it would be terrifying. And if it happened to my parents or anyone in the generation above me in my family, I would have, I would put serious effort into making sure that it didn't happen. Just, it, I mean, you can change political leanings. Obviously, you can become more conservative over time. I feel like that kind of seems natural, but to. Do it because you start paying attention more to conservative viewpoints and sort of getting pushed into that circle. I don't think that's good. And I, I don't know that being politically conservative to the Fox News level is good for anybody. I I think it's pretty terrible, actually. I think I think we should be reminded that Fox News, for from what I can tell and I'm assuming, is intended to be entertainment and get viewers with with a lot of the personalities they have i'm not saying that the people on there saying the things they are they don't actually believe them but there's been i've read articles suggesting that that may be the case as well that people are on there saying stuff just to get ratings and they don't actually believe them um but i i can again relate to you rob with with your your fear i guess you could call it and i think this was my dilemma and i guess kind of going back to figuring out how I want to vote and what what matters to me. I feel that I'm relatively left-leaning socially in like an equality sense, in a, you know, just being a good person sense and not taking away rights just because you don't like the way a person behaves or believes or whatever. Yeah. But in a fiscal sense... I'd probably be more central, if not conservative, because again, having you know a full time job and a family to provide for, I don't want that aspect to be sacrificed. Being able to take care of my family in a financial sense to be compromised by oh, we're going to raise taxes by whatever percent, or we're going to you know whatever, like in or just you know spend more on hospitals instead of. Uh, it like raise a corporate tax rate and spend more on 
social welfare or whatever. It's like, well, yeah, it's like, well, people can lose their jobs. Like, you know what I mean? So it's, I, I struggle with reconciling the two sides. And I think like I took the vote compass thing because I'd heard about it before. I think I've even taken it when I was like in high school. Cause it was part of an assignment, but I went on there cause I looked it up and I was like, Oh yeah, that's the thing. And I took it and it pretty much put me where I felt I was. I was like, you know, slightly left leaning, like I was left leaning socially, but fairly central fiscally. Right. Wait, central. Yeah. Though central fiscally, but left leaning yeah. socially. And, and there was no, there were no real parties that represented that place on right. that. that There's nobody in the center. I was like, if you, on the compass, you had like CBC plotted all the, the parties on the spectrum, like, fiscally and socially yeah and if you drew like a linear regression through all the parties i was literally dead center of that regression like yeah i could have gone either way to either side um and that was very troubling for me (laughs) yeah there's no there's no money politics is essentially about money and there's no money in it almost it's not but it all it's almost like having no opinion you're like, oh, I could have it either way. But really what you want is for the policies to be moderate and not to go way too far in either direction. Yeah. I, 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 don't, I don't think you can really go too far left when it comes to social equality and, and like... Well... Yeah, like, do you know... <laughs> do, you, uh, no, do, do you disagree? Can you go too far I, left socially? I could come up with some extreme left ideas that might <laughs> be a little controversial to democratic population such as well such as giving everyone the same salary that that's fiscal that's not social uh i don't i guess giving i don't know that's also like that's like full-on communism though (laughs) yeah exactly but that's that's what i mean you'd have to go full-on communism but but look at say like you know gay marriage or marriage equality in a general sense that's that there's no fiscal aspect to that it's just right are you do you do you want people to not be able to do something or be yeah. allowed to do something on whatever basis and for for me and it's usually like, <laughs> usually that thing is sodomy <laughs> apparently <laughs> yeah or, or, I, or even say legalizing marijuana I'd say yeah. I'd say even that is is tangentially fiscal and in a crime prevention or crime moderation sense, but at its heart, it's very just an issue that isn't really fiscal. an issue. Yeah. 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 No, I, I get that, and I get I understand what you're saying that it's a lot less controversial to be socially egalitarian than it is to be fiscally egalitarian, but I. Th- I think you could still go too far in being in giving social equality because there are going to be people who don't think that everyone should be equal in all social aspects as, as wrong as I think that might be. There are a lot of people who strongly believe that and are convinced in opposite directions about the way they feel and, on certain issues like religion has a ha, plays into that a, a huge amount where people even even if it's a, a kind of thing that isn't strictly in any religious text there are things that 
will cause people to lean strongly in one social direction or strongly in another. And you can't, you can't talk that out of people. So it seems like no matter what you try to do to make things equal, people are going to have, some people are going to have a problem with it. And you kind of have to, again, it's a sort of, you can't do it all at once. You have to kind of chip away at the worst kind of people when you when we're talking about social equality you have to kind of chip away at the worst kind of people to get them to see that this is fine change is all right everything is like like, again like you said the sun's going to rise again tomorrow no matter what we do with um with anybody of any gender or any sexual orientation that if you could have complete social equality and literally nothing in your life would change Mm-hmm. But for someone who feels or is objectively being treated as less of a person, it's a huge change. Yeah. But for the people who have this full set of human rights, they or even Canadian political rights in our charter, um, it it means the world to them yeah. to have that. Whereas we kind of take it for granted. Yeah. yeah. Um, just a quick note on. You know, uh, religious leanings informing opinion. Rob, have you followed the uh, the debate on the new sex ed curriculum in Ontario at all? <laughs> yes, <laughs> I have. Because wow, that's getting goofy. <laughs> oh, like, geez. honestly, the the social conservatives in Ontario right now, like. <laughs> They are not letting facts get in their way. Like, <laughs> I love that. They're going to teach uh, our grade one kids to give oral to each other. Yeah. Oh, man. Like, honestly, that's what they're saying. I honestly, I wish, that, I wish that I had had a better sexual education when we did do it in school. Yeah. I wish do they had what gone in school, Rob? In sex education, sex ed class, I feel yeah. like I wish. It, looking back now, like at the time, I have no idea. I was, in, I think it was grade five that it started. Yeah, I have no idea. I it was just yeah. like the teacher said words, and yeah. I may have listened, but I feel like it could have gone further because I had to go out and learn a lot on my own. Bound to go wow I mean, eventually it got there, but no, I, it was a lot slower process than I had to. I went out on my own and bounced a wow. <laughs> the the oh, Alberta yeah. curriculum, and I'm assuming most other curriculums, are very reproduction cycle yeah. based. Yeah, exactly. Right? It's not it's like falling in love and sexual attraction or any yeah. of that kind of stuff. But even then, it's extremely anatomical and it's not so much yeah it it doesn't get into the gooey human element at all not even like the love emotion element but it doesn't get into any sort of the physical element it's like these are two human beings standing next to each other this is the parts they have they don't always look like that but don't worry about that (laughs) and they don't ever touch each other so don't worry about that either (laughs) it's just they just stand there naked well i mean and this is what they look like that's in like you got to put that in context and say that's what the kids are about to experience like grade f- 4 and 5 maybe like actual sexual activity is nowhere on their radar 
Right. Oh, like, no, of course. That's down I don't the pipeline, mean immediately. but they're saying, like, listen, guys, your bodies are going to start changing and shit's going to get real. So here's a primer on that. Like, Yeah. I think it's changed so much since we took sex ed that from what I've heard on the interwebs that kids in elementary school are literally watching porn on their phones in school. Wow. So it's my take on it is I, I would rather have an education prior to having to kind of be, have that be the learning and be like, yeah, of course. Right. So it's like, and not that, you know, like everyone has their own, their own views on, on pornography and just sexual interaction, that kind of thing. That's fine. But from an education standpoint, I don't want it to be the, the concept or the, the intent of keeping kids in a bubble. And it's like, well, you don't need to know about that because they're going to be exposed to it, whether you know about it or not, and whether you like it or not. Yeah. And if if they don't just get exposed, they're going to go looking for it because they, well, they, their friends are going to talk. Their about friends it. are going to talk yeah. about it, and they're going to feel these things and whatever. So it's like there needs to be some sort of structure and like starting, yeah, like from grade one and two because kids talk and they listen to the radio and watch TV and go on the internet and it's like it's everywhere. So it's like yeah. you walk past a billboard and there's sexual innuendo all over the place, right? So it's like kids yeah. aren't blind; like they see this stuff. So it's like why not start? like starting a discussion and an education on it. Yeah. yeah, I agree. And I also got one of the forwards from the, uh, anti sex ed people. And, uh, I don't know. A lot of it was like, listen, we just think that parents should be the first teachers of sexual education. And we really yeah. feel like this should be taken out of the, you know, public school curriculum. And I'm like, well, that's great, but here's the thing. A lot of you are going to be too uncomfortable to talk to your kids about this, and then your kids are going to get pregnant, and that leads to economic disadvantage all around. So maybe instead of that, you could have someone else talk to them. Because yeah. someone's got to talk to them, because statistically speaking, that reduces unwanted pregnancy. Crazy! Yeah. yeah, and and parents can take a a lead or a vested interest in their children's sexual education, and they should. Yeah, but if they don't, that doesn't mean that that child should not get that education. Yeah, yeah. And pretending it doesn't exist is not going to do anything. Yeah, and and I think the other thing I hear is that parents are saying that the government is taking away the right to teach the values that they want or something to that effect. Mm-hmm. And it's, and the whole thing is you can teach whatever you want in your own house, but yeah. that doesn't mean it's the right thing and they need to get the right or a academic teaching or a, yeah. Yeah. I guess whatever they need. They a need secular the, teaching. Yeah. Like an unbiased, yeah. like, yeah, there's different types of sexuality. There's different, there's, you know, the whole spectrum aspect, like, they need to hear that somewhere because there's kids that go through life thinking that they're not feeling normal and just out of place when they're not getting any sort of education or feeling that there's a place for them. Yeah. 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 So yeah, to, to, to put a cap on this, 
I have been paying attention to the sex ed thing and being somebody who in the next probably year or so is going to be either having a child or planning to decide to have one. It's, it's really important to me to not only actually make sure that I'm ready to, to help my child through these things as they're, as they're learning, not just about sex ed, but about everything, but also to make sure that at school, they're not going to get, they're not going to miss out on something that is going to be really important to them later in life. Like social skills of any kind, whether they're of an intimate nature or just of a getting to know friends, making relationships, forging friendships kind of thing. The social aspect is just as important as the academic aspect of, of education. And I don't want my, my child to miss out on any, on any of that. Solid. Yeah. And sorry, before we move yeah. way too far, <laughs> I did have a note on, I lost my dad to Fox news. Yeah. And, that yeah. Thing, and how it seems strange that like, you know, you could drift that far to the right or just, you know, change a lot just from, you know, being exposed to stuff. Yeah. I can tell you that I think people will have limits to what they can tolerate. Because when my mom and my sister and I were down in South Carolina, there was one day we were driving around and just because of how our car is set up, if you have the volume on really low, people in the back of the car can hear it really easily because there are speakers right there at head level. Yeah. And people in the front aren't necessarily going to hear it. And we had just some station on low volume and I could pick up on it. It was Rush Limbaugh. <laughs> and after about, I think four or five minutes of it, I was just sitting in the back, like <laughs> eyes wide open. It's like, guys, you can change the channel or you can turn the radio off, but I can't listen to this anymore. I, j I just can't. This is ridiculous. And they're like, yeah. What? Oh, oh, sorry. We didn't we didn't realize the radio was on. It's really low. It's like, yeah, that's great, but this can't continue. <laughs> like I just I I can't listen to this garbage anymore. This is awful. Just awful. Yeah. I So apparently it's my limit to know is that he has listeners. <sighs> well, I think that shows that the fact that it was on that station means that someone listens to that type of stuff. <laughs> You mean in South Carolina? Like, I know who to thank. One of the states that uh, I'm, I can't verify this is true or not, but I want to <laughs> say it was one of the states that was pretty proud of joining the Confederacy and yeah. fighting for states' rights and not for slavery at all, but states' rights. Yeah. What's it called? Like yeah. the Mason Dixon line or something? Yeah. Yeah. That was the yeah. South North Divider. Yeah. yeah. I think it was some, well, I don't know. North Carolina joined the North, as I understand it, and South Carolina's South. So it was a pretty big battleground, apparently. Uh, yeah. Is there anything else we want to say in this? Or do you guys feel like you covered what you wanted to cover? Mm. I think so. <laughs> oh, have we talked about implications on the upcoming federal election? Not particularly I f we could probably go over that I, I think it's worth spitballing yeah. 
Uh, I think I can keep it from, from my perspective, I can keep it really simple. Uh, the NDP took a pretty big chunk out of the liberals and, and specifically the, uh, Quebec Parti Québécois last election. And I feel like seeing what happened to the, to the Alberta election will cause a lot of people like it, like it caused me to see that NDP has a chance. And I think that even if it doesn't change, it doesn't change any minds or change any votes in on a national level. I feel like it might cause people who would vote NDP, but don't vote to maybe go, what if I did vote and I voted NDP? And so it might shift things around. I, it, it might change minds, but I feel like even if it doesn't just getting people to go from not voting to maybe considering voting uh, well, might. Yeah. I'm sure there are a lot of people that have wanted to vote NDP in the past, but haven't felt they were a competitive enough party to take mm-hmm. a seat. Right. And so they would vote for, you know, the liberals or something like that, as opposed to the NDP. Also, I think it's interesting to consider the extent to which the vote is split on the left right now. Yeah. Especially with recent historical context of, uh, the uh, progressive conservatives and the Canadian Alliance federally aligning to uh, to create the Conservative Party of Canada, mm-hmm. and just yeah. what what do we all think of that? Huh. Wow, words are hard. Can we I, like get words are hard in Latin and make that the motto of East meets East meets West? I'll I'll get on that. <laughs> Please do. I don't think we're gonna see a majority government come out of this next election. If I if, think that's fair to say. If the liberal vote can take away the conservative contingent, and I guess seeing what how Alberta voted this time around, it's not going to be a conservative stronghold this coming federal election, I don't think. Um, They're still polling really, really well here, though. At least the last poll I saw. Yeah. I see it uh, like the federal elections coming up in the fall. I see uh, seats changing and I see the NDP gaining major ground, not only on the liberals, but on the conservatives. I feel like that's happening regardless of like based on this, but also just based on the general like what happened last election? I feel like people have seen what having some ADP in their seats have done, and and I think it's going to keep going that direction. Yeah, they may not get a majority, but I feel like they're going to be stronger. Even what do you make of the loss of Jack Layton? I don't know how much it hurts them. It's Mulcair that's the leader now, right? Yeah, but Layton was the one that initiated the orange crush in the last yeah yeah of course but i feel like he has there's nothing obviously everybody dies that it's it's a fact of life and i think that he is a strong enough candidate that he can take take the reins of the party and and people aren't going to lose faith because he's now the leader and jack layton is not yeah i 
I don't think it's a faith thing. I think it's a charisma thing. You don't like, think I, think, I thought he was very charismatic. I think Mulcair is very eloquent and just an excellent uh, politician, but I don't know that he's nearly as charismatic as Jack Layton, who at the outset of the last election was asked about his prostate cancer. And he was like, well, I mean, the doctor says it's fine and I could drop my pants for you right now, but I don't think that'd make very good television. (laughs) Yeah. I think, I think he will, if they don't gain seats, I don't think it'll be because of him. I think Mulcair can, can carry the party. I guess I think the deciding factors are going to be the party's platforms when it comes to foreign policy on both military and economic development or championing of, you know, resource development or what have you. I don't think like it's, it's, it's a lot less local issues like schools and hospitals and a lot more. Well, what do you want my country to value and, stand for right yeah and, and i mean taxes right too, now but yeah. yeah well obviously yeah. although the other thing is bill c51 right that it the last set of polling data anyway like since the liberals supported bill c51 they have taken a big dip in the polls and the ndp are taking the lead yeah no i i completely agree Also, there's the issue that someone named Trudeau is at the helm of the Liberal Party. That's and true. That doesn't seem to be playing so well in Western Canada. Anyone anyone have any comments on that? We're losing Nick. Oh no. <laughs> Uh-oh. Oh, we're back. It's about that time in uh, in Alberta, I guess. A time when Nick loses his bandwidth. <laughs> oh, now he's a screenshot. I, I assume he did that on purpose. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's that was on purpose. Oh, okay. So, so you were saying that Trudeau's not very popular in Western Canada? Well, people named Trudeau aren't very popular right. in Western Canada. Yeah. Well, I think right now it's just because he doesn't support just resource development at all. At least Western Canada, oil and gas. As far as pipelines, uh, pipelines and the the oil no, sand he's, development, he's on board it. with Keystone XL. It's uh, I think it's Mulcair that isn't. Is he? I last I checked, oh. I I don't know where he stands on Northern Gateway, but I was almost sure he was in favor of Keystone. I'm pretty sure Northern Gateway he doesn't want, just for the ecological aspect and so much opposition from bc but oh that might have to be a follow-up yeah yeah or something like that all right what do you say we wrap this up for uh for this every so often (laughs) this edition of eats me (laughs) before we go uh Words are hard in Latin is verba difficilis sunt. So I feel like we have a title for the episode. Oh, really? <laughs> I got 
Verba sunt difficilis. Interesting. Uh, I said words are difficult. Oh. I think that was probably a more accurate translation. Yeah, because hard. Hard, you know. Yeah. Oh, no, it ends up being the same same thing, different order. Oh, weird. Weird. I think it's probably verba difficilis sunt. Let's go with that. As good as yeah. our Latin is. As good as our Latin ever is. Uh, all right, you guys are ready to take it home? Let's do it. All right. Uh, before we go, I'll thank audible.com for helping support this podcast. Uh, you can visit audibletrial.com slash unwind, as in unwind media, right now to start a free 30-day trial, as well as to get a free audiobook from Audible. Uh, they have over 180,000 audiobooks that you can get at for streaming or to download, and they have apps for iOS as well as Android. Nick, you want to close it up? Oh, God, no. Verba <laughs> difficilis soon. All right. Uh, you can find more of this show, including past episodes, at unwindmedia.com slash EMW. That's East meets West, EMW. And we'll talk to you guys next time. Thanks for having me on, guys. Thanks for Thanks coming, for being Mike. here, Mike. And thank you for listening, valued listener. <laughs> All right. Bye for now. See ya. Toodaloo.